Defining Connection Economy Radio. This is Tribe FM. All right, Mr. Barnes, episode number 11 and the power of free. What's your platform? Indeed, indeed, indeed. So, you know, five years ago, the kind of, you know, point that I was making here was that you have an opportunity these days in the connection economy to find a niche that you can call your own and then equip yourself in regard to that niche using all the availabilities of, you know, the technologies that have already been made. You can buy off the shelf for next to nothing and mash up a solution that gives you the ability to dominate a particular niche that you have identified for yourself. And, and resulting out of that is a platform. Hmm. And the platform that you create for yourself is a kind of like a, an extension to you. If you think about that from the perspective of you know before you ever got a driving license you were delimited in terms of how you could get about right but the moment that you had the ability to drive and had access ready access to a car your um, status as an individual actor um, was expanded your reach was expanded incredibly because now all of a sudden you've got this technology available to you and it allows you to get to places in times that you can never have dreamed on previously and therefore opens new possibilities so hmm. in the same way as the kind of the 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 the, 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 the motorcycle liberates the the teenager um the availability to use the internet to project yourself uh, an extension of yourself the what you know best about uh, of yourself uh, to the world uh, you have this platform that you can call your own and never before has this potential been available to anybody because we were all individual standalone actors constrained by lack of resources to the means to be able to project yourself into well what is it basically infinity right in so much as the internet allows you to to access infinity the human condition never had that before now we've got it and we've seen it uh we've proven it in the realm of hong kong immigration as you know jason and uh in recent times you know you and i have been working on doing well getting the messaging around around this notion of intelligent content marketing out to the world uh by, by way of the platform that we're building at this point in time which mm. you know will then in turn go on to be whatever I want it to be, because having these platforms gives you not only infinite reach, but also access to almost infinite potential too. Okay, so let's let's expand a little bit on a platform. So it's actually beyond just a website. Well, what you got to do is you've got to ask yourself, okay, or you got to say to yourself, I want to own the ability for people to da 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 da. Mm. Right. So I said to myself, I want to own the ability for people to do their own visa applications in Hong Kong without paying for any professional help. I'm having addressed that my mind to seeking to own that ability. I then acquitted myself day after day after day by building a platform uh, and then subsequently went on to own the ability for people to do their Hong Kong immigration applications without them paying for any professional help. Hmm. Now, I know the true value of owning that, and it's a bit of a 
kind of uh, intellectual gymnastics to kind of say, well, oh, it's all well and good you wanting to do that, but how, you know, what's what's in it for you if you do that? Mm. Well, that's kind of what intelligent content marketing is all about, and you know why the power of free works in the way that it does, and mm. the uh, truth is your platform is an engine to creating relationships, and as those relationships, you know, commercial things flow. So you know, um, Uber asked the question. You know, I want to own the ability for people to, or they made the statement, they want to own the ability for people to be able to call a car on short notice and be, be driven limousine style from A to B for a fair price. Amazing, right? It basically mm. means own the ability for people to get where they need to go on time. Mm. And Spotify said, I want to own the ability for people to have, uh, to be able to listen to the entire library of music that the world that the world has instantaneously on a device on demand, and mm. lo and behold, that's exactly what they went off to do. Right. Uh, in, in, and you know, on the examples, uh, the examples are legion. Mm -hmm. The the question then is begged: What does intelligent content marketing, as you've alluded to, seek to serve? The intelligent content marketing proposition seeks to provide those people who want to monetize their expertise and build a monopoly from nothing with no money invested in a new and interesting way that fits the connection economy. Mm, okay, right. And what we've done over the last uh, 10 and a bit episodes is to use examples. And I've obviously given a lot of thought to these things. And we've spoken at some length about accountants and tax experts and what we would consider service professionals. But there's a lot of other businesses out there which provide a service. Um, and also, if you're in a small town, you're limited by um, the number of people that can support you in that town. So if you do want to grow or even in this day and age still survive, you need to look at growing your market. I want to give you an example of, say, a dressmaker. Um, and she obviously has a particular skill, and that's making dresses. For her to be able to um, take her business and put it onto the internet, give me a good example. I have one that I want to give to you, but I want you to see if you're on the same page as me in terms of what you think she should do. Okay, so so firstly, let me let let me put the caveat up front, right? Mm. I, I don't profess to be an expert in taking this business model and it being applied prescriptively to every every niche that exists out there in commerce land. Okay. The thing about intelligent content marketing, Jason, is is that it's a collection of ideas that give you access to. The harsh reality that is right in this regard that you know in the future every business will necessarily be an internet-based business. There will be facets of the business that occur offline, because that's the nature of the beast. Mm. But the transaction, the core of the transaction will all occur uh, online. So getting to the heart of the, the, the core of the online transaction can only really you know, flow from somebody who truly understands their niche because you have to put yourself in the shoes of the customer that you've become an expert in serving. Mm -hmm. And you've got to appreciate what it is that you're delivering in terms of the value proposition. 
then you've got to do an examination of what the modern internet avails you of capabilities to be able to to deliver that value ideally at a lower price and that uh you know a multiple of value all told so that it's kind of like self-obvious to anybody that the old way of doing it has been superseded by this new way because it wins for everybody and whatever that is and then essentially dig into the toolkit of ideas that go to make up intelligent content marketing recognizing that we configured all of these ideas in the guise of a professional services enterprise that historically operated in a market that was experiencing kind of scarcity rather than as you can in the connection economy uh, tap into or utilize the phenomenon of abundance so you know recognizing that you know we approached our marketplace through the prism of our own expertise and being able to put ourselves in the in the customer's um um shoes this um this this thing that we have called intelligent content marketing delivered up all of these tools such as an irresistible offer and appreciation of how to map the knowledge graph, recognizing how Google is, you know, wanting content to be configured and prepared, uh, understanding, you know, things like idea viruses and irresistible offers and you know, all the things that we've talked about ad nauseum, mm -hmm. they go to make up, you know, the, the totality of the power of free. So, so what you're left with if you're a dressmaker in that situation is, well, those are all the resources that you've got, recognizing that the world has changed and you've got to start thinking in a different way if you want to sort of migrate into the future, which is where you're necessarily going to be an internet-based business. And predicated on the knowledge of the customer and an appreciation of all the tools that intelligent content marketing have gathered together and have proven by having all the joins dotted together, as it were. How can you, as that dressmaker, then, you know, come up with something new, interesting and remarkable in light of your core knowledge? So that's the caveat there. Mm. Thanks for bearing with so, so what would I, what, what, what would I do? I, I can't be prescriptive because I don't know the customer, right? But what I can say is that I would have a think about, right, what am I doing now? I'm a, you know, where's my core value? What is it all about? And, and, and what technologies exist right now that I can, you know, tap into and buy cheaply via the web that I can mash up that will allow me to deliver a new and interesting way, a, a new and interesting configuration of the value that I'm able to impart typically you know off in an offline manner to that customer hmm. and then um uh and then and then you know com configure that proposition accordingly and and adjust what i do offline to anticipate the very real reality that what we're doing online is 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 collecting the relationship forging the relationship and then try and then uh, quitting ourselves in such a way so that relationship will then you know transact and do commerce with us whatever it is and so the the whole sort of end game if you will is to come up with something as i say new interesting and remarkable that is just very very different from how it's done presently that allows you to tap into the scalability um, capabilities of the um, of the modern internet uh, and give you the ability to um, reach a market that's vastly bigger than the one you might presently be serving because part and parcel of the exercise that you went through to develop that proposition is to is to niche down once you understood what that value was and just concentrating on deliver delivering to that niche but it seems to me 
having said all of that, that it probably lies, the, bus the business model probably lies in the region of um, some kind of solution to a problem that they encounter all the time uh, and then make it irresistible for anybody around the world to uh, Want, not want to be on the website that you've built to solve that problem and now you've got the website what is it that can actually sell to them what value can you deliver to them and then you'll come up with something that'll work mm. okay and, and the reason i asked because i've quite recently seen two similar kind of examples and and both in in fashion and one you can now get several row shirts anywhere in the world by giving them dimensions and they will make it and there's another one that I was quite fascinated with, and it's an online app. And it will, you, you take a photo of yourself, it does all of the measurements for you, and then it makes your jeans and your trousers and your shirts perfectly. So what they've done is they've used te yeah. technology, replaced the tailor, and yeah, you get your gear sent to you. It will indeed, right? So you know the reason why I could never come up with those ideas is because I wouldn't have, I don't have the insights into where those opportunities lie, and uh, I'm, my mind doesn't naturally drift towards the, the, the kind of asking the question as to what the cost might be to um, actually deliver technologically on something like that. Does that does the tech already exist, for example, uh, that you can license or, or or buy in elsewhere, or is it the kind of thing that you have to acquire a whole new skill set? For and then you know become suddenly a technology developer when all your life what you've really been doing is is, is sewing and fixing so to speak. So mm. you know there's there, there's there's horses for courses and and those examples that you cite are clear examples of how um, offline businesses are migrating to the online realm because the online realm inevitably will always go to support whatever can be supported online, mm. and then whatever has to be delivered offline will always be delivered offline. It's with the same in immigration, right? We use mashed-up technologies and, and and our own IP and know-how to attract relationships, to create relationships, to then transact with relationships. Mm. We use all the tools of the modern, you know, the modern economy, email and uh, a chat and the and all this kind of stuff to actually communicate once we've uh, transacted with people. But in the final analysis, what they're getting from us is what we do down at the immigration department. And, and what we do down at the immigration department is exactly today is, what we, is exactly what we're doing down at the immigration department 30 years ago. So that hasn't changed. So that mm. offline component remains pretty much the same. Mm. But every other facet of it has moved online. And I would, you know, I'd argue that whilst not every business, not every business today uh, that's been configured for an offline in an offline modality, um, will ever be able to migrate onto the web a because perhaps the technology has just has made that you know what they were doing really previously kind of redundant or b it may be that that particular business owner or entrepreneur is just you know incapable of of, of making the technological shift so uh you know that's just the way these things work and uh none of that is you know relieves the irresistible force i think that's in place that's me meaning that uh, um, business owners are uh, very much at the risk of being disintermediated as a result of you know the, the internet technologically being able to do a lot of stuff that eventually somebody will come along and figure out to mash it all up um, and steal your lunch because we've done it in professional services 
and uh, as we said previously, my poor competitors, my big, big office competitors in, in Hong Kong for immigration, uh, they've been watching me for the last 10 years, wondering what the hell I've been up to. And now I'm, I'm really, you know, stealing their lunch big time. They, they have no growth at all in this marketplace because we're just dominating it. Mm. And do you think that platform? Yeah, so that platform's done that. So would it be fair to say that you could look at intelligent content marketing as a way of by cleverly and strategically using content to drive yourself further and further up the Google ranking so that you are found over your competitors? And thereafter, it's same old, same old with, with delivering um, business value and your proposition, as you say, as you do in your visas, which yeah, hasn't changed for 30 years. Yeah, I think I think a very high level nuts and bolts uh, summary of what intelligent content marketing does, in fact, uh, is just just been stated perfectly. Mm. But more than that, Jason, you know, we've been working on this project called 10 Minutes to Haha. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I would, uh, I, would, I would venture to suggest that the first thing that one needs to appreciate about intelligent content marketing is that you have to get to haha. Because if you get to haha, then everything else falls away because you, you now understand what's going on. And the moment that you kind of understand what's going on, the, the scales fall from your eyes and you're then able to, um, you know, access these proven resources that collectively go to make up this thing called intelligent content marketing and the shift in mindset and the recognition that you know something that your competition don't and that if you if you act properly with the new knowledge that you've got and get there before them you can you can block them out through your own platform building you can dominate that niche mm. and it's it, the, I, I, the only way that i can kind of describe getting to haha -ha is um Something that's happened to me very recently, the last 48 hours in actual fact, I, <laughs> I haven't sent this, I haven't sent this to you yet, I but I'm, I, 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 fully, I, fully, I fully plan to, but, but let me just go diverse for a little moment. <laughs> let me ask you this, let me ask you this question. Mm. Let me ask you this question. Right. Okay. So do you know how the, the pyramids of Egypt were built? Honestly, no. I've seen lots of uh, ideas, including people from outer space, but uh, no, to be honest, I don't know. Right. Okay. Well, I've just watched a video that was produced in 19, uh, sorry, uh, was produced last year in 2019, mm. and it's called The Pyramid, mm. K 2019. And Basically, what this thing postulates, not postulates, to my, my mind, proves beyond <laughs> doubt that, uh -huh. that the ancient Egyptians, um, venerated mostly by Khafre, who to whom the big pyramid was ostensibly built as a, as a tomb and sarcophagus, that the ancient Egyptians mastered the metric measuring system. Mm. And they mastered the metric measuring system by understanding that a droplet of water, which is an only, the only universal constant, measured one what we've come to understand today as being one centimeter. Hmm. And then by using, yes, it's fascinating, by using um, 
Caffrey's, the, the length of Caffrey's foot, they were able, not let his arm, I think it was, but they called it Caffrey's foot. But, okay. but they then invented the meter. Okay. And then in, having invented the meter, they, because they were living on the banks of the Nile, they noticed that every three, uh, every year, the, ta- the Nile would um, flood for three months of the year. And after generations and generations of disruption to their lives, knowing that the Nile was going to flood and they had to go off and do other things, they came to understand that, you know, there were the, there's something to do with the time of, the you know, the movement of the planet and mm-hmm. uh, and the, the, the position of the moon and the sky and the stars. And so basically they, 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 they came to understand things that allowed them to uh, identify pi and the universal, all these universal constants in mathematics. Mm-hmm. And having identified all of these, they could then go to the Giza Pyramid and they took all of the ground that is the Giza Pyramid. They invented formwork and they measured out the pyramids mathematically. And then every three, during the three months flooding season when they had to retreat to high ground, the, work, the workforce traveled from all around the country to participate in this national building endeavor. And they show you in this video exactly how it was all done using the formwork and concrete that was taken from the uh, what they learned from the Nile flooding and the um, and, and the makeup of the land that, that that was on the Giza plateau then. So the upshot is, basically, the Egyptians mastered mathematics. So not only did they master mathematics, they also invented solar energy because they they understood that they could create a kind of a glassed type mechanism that gave very, very high magnifying capability and that they could capture the sun at various parts of the day within, within this contraption that they could move around on, on, um, on rollers, as it were, that allowed them to actually uh, create temperatures that was this equivalency of the, temp- of the, the temperatures that you create inside a volcano. So they could, they could um, make uh, granite into liquid and so all the all the things that you see were all cast they weren't carved and that's been one of the greatest secrets because that that the knowledge to be able to do that meant that you know two and a half or three and a half thousand years ago Caffrey at that point in human civilization when anybody came into Caffrey's land they could see this great pyramid thing that had been built and nobody knew how they did it right so they basically, the Egyptians then exported themselves around around the world over time, and and and, and fundamentally everything that happened down in, um, in in Egypt happened around North America, South America, Easter Island. It, anyway, this video sets all of this out, and I'll send it to you. It's absolutely fascinating. But I've laboured all of that, Jason, because one, the moment that you understand something, you know, where finally there's an answer and it makes perfect sense, you've arrived at the moment of haha, and so three days ago I had uh, a moment of haha, and I suspect that actual people who are um, going to get engaged with intelligent content marketing are going to get a similar moment too when it all just comes together and you go, that makes sense to me. Well, here we go. The visa Giza has become the pyramid Giza. Ah, lifelong or, learning, sir. Or, Charlie or, Munger, or, you know or, what it's all about. Or should we just say the Giza pyramid? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> talk after, about synchronicity. There what? you go. After that, play on words. Um, if you do enjoy that sort of thing, there's a rather old book. I think it's about twenty or twenty-five years old. It's called uh, 
Fingerprints of the Gods, Graham Hancock. It's excellent. Um, yeah, well, I know Graham Hancock's work completely. And what's interesting is that this this video sets out, it debunks everything definitively. And that's not to take anything away from Graham Hancock because I've been, I've been, you know, absolutely oh, mesmerized by his ideas. You know I mean, just, just an amazing way of explaining what's gone on. And that's not to suggest that, you know, his stuff about the great cataclysm uh, isn't true. I suspect it's completely true. Uh, but just this, what I learned about how it was Egyptians that actually invented science and exported it around the world and, and, and led to true civilization, in fact, was just absolutely mind-boggling. And now now I can, now Egypt for me has become a lot more compelling because it was all just a bit of a mystery, you know, all these thousands of years and all these names and all these mummies and all these tombs and I don't know what's going on. But now that I've had the story told in the way that it's been told, it's just well, <laughs> riveting. I'll send you the video. Please, who's your mummy? <laughs> yes okay power of free mate power of free absolutely now so uh next time when we catch up it's the last of um our episode in this series on the power of free and i think when we do that one we should also have a a roundup of all 12 episodes and try and encapsulate that into the last five minutes of the show how does that work for you sounds like a plan right to the next one it is next week sir